Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined us here on Veritas Catholic Network and on your podcast stations, along with Paul, Lauren, and Diane. You know, most of our listeners, well, maybe some of our listeners, have never heard of this document called Humani Vitae. It was actually kind of an important document, much pretty controversial within the, the uh, confines of the church. It was written by Pope Paul VI. And uh, back in 1968. And so have you guys, you, have you guys heard of this document before? Humane what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, humane vitae. It's Latin for something. For human vitae. Of human life, perhaps? Yes, of human life, actually. That is exactly what it means. Yeah, so I heard of this in the spring of 2018 when our friend, former priest here, Father Andy, was planning a conference at the Basilica of St. John the Evangelist. And he said, hey, Lauren, are you going to come to our Humane Vitae conference? And I said, what's that? <laughs> so I had never heard of it before then, but because of him and because of making room for God's love, Humane Vitae at 50 on June 23rd in 2018, I learned a little bit about it. That's right. 2018 was the 50th anniversary of the release of that document. Exactly. Yeah. So what's that document all about? I mean, what's the summary? Diane, you're the studious one. <laughs> <laughs> Diane just finished a study on Humana Vitae. So there you go. She doesn't want to display her knowledge yet, but yeah, it's, so it's, I, it's in there. I mean, I think the important thing is kind of going through the timeline leading up to why it was written first. So the Didache, one of the oldest church documents, kind of details the practices of the early church um, and instructed people sort of against fornication, use of potions, abortion, and everything. So um, it's important just to know that there was this, um, you know, the use of contraceptives was condemned and echoed by the early church fathers. And even after the Protestant Reformation, Protestants and Catholics stood united on the question of contraception, but that kind of changed in 1930 with the the Lambeth Conference, um, where, you know, it was kind of agreed that contraception, it was like Anglican bishops, essentially, and uh, agreed that contraception was permissible for married couples under limited circumstances. Which is why I'm really glad we don't vote on our doctrine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then it changes with the whims of time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and I mean, so because of that, Protestant communities gradually, one by one, and Orthodox churches kind of began condoning contraception. And it was only really the Catholic Church's teaching that remained unchanged. But um, there was a lot going on sort of with, and I'm sure we'll get into it, of like just this, you know, argument for <laughs> concern about overpopulation and the feminist movement kind of demanding more opportunities for women and the sexual revolution and everything that this really became sort of a contentious issue. And um, so, like, sort of in the 38 years, I guess, between the Lambeth Conference and when Humani Vitae was promulgated, um, there were a few things that happened. Pope Pius XII, he wrote the encyclical Casti Canubi in uh, 1930 in wake of that conference, and that kind of reiterated the constant church teaching on the beauty of marriage and God's plan for bringing life into the world. Yeah, that's um, a really good encyclical, Casti Canubi, if you've ever read it. Never heard mm-hmm. of that one. No? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the OG, the original. <laughs> So, I mean, in, in that, the Paul twelfth his teaching was very clear, but it didn't stop qu- Catholics from questioning, sort of. And it got worse in 1960 when the birth control pill was introduced. And um, so when the Second Vatican Council convened in 1962, I think they, you know, 
the bishops would kind of fully address the question, but they didn't. So Pope John the Twenty Third called for a special commission um, to examine the questions underlying the use of the pill and to determine if it violated the church teaching. So, and his successor, Pope Paul VI, uh, decided to continue the commission. And I mean, in summary, in 1963, the commission completed its work and it sent sort of a majority report, minority report, and then a rebuttal. And the majority concluded that the church should teach, change its teaching on contraception. And the minority, you know, insisted that the church couldn't change uh, its its teaching. And um, so Paul, Paul VI essentially wrote, uh, you know, a Humanae Vitae as kind of a response to uh, to the commission and to, to kind of clarify all of this confusion. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about, it's... Um, Still confusing. Still, con- yeah. Still <laughs> There's con- still a lot of confusion still confused out people. There. So, and it still confuses people to today. I think so. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that they actually weren't. They were really discussing whether or not the pill was contraception because mm-hmm. they've always been, you know, opposed to barrier methods. But this was the first time that a real chemical uh, method of contraception was kind of being made public. So there was, there was a question of like, well, there there seems to be still a natural act, mm-hmm. right? And what's the morality of this? Right. right. Yeah, question. exactly. And I think Pope Paul VI, he wanted to like refocus the conversation on like the vocation and mission of the human person, whereas, you know, some of the questions surrounding contraception had been kind of about, you know, he wanted it to be about like who we are and not just what we can do, like scientifically and all of that. Um, you know, and he talks a lot, he, he really goes into how like we're made in the image and likeness of God and um, like what is married love and what is responsible parenthood um and yeah just the morality of acts and and things like that so that was one of the great contributions of the 20th century i think from the church was kind of this humanistic christian humanism that really came about it's like you know we're not going to talk about morality necessarily from the perspective of uh you know a legal code it's not just god giving us random laws but rather what fulfills a human person what makes the human person happy and and this encyclical really comes from that point of view of saying you know, what are we made for? Mm-hmm. And I think John Paul II goes off on that with his Theology of the Body, too, which kind of takes Humanae Vitae and goes to a whole new depth. And we're going to have a huge episode on Theology of the Body in the future, so <laughs> I won't give that away. But, Paul, have you ever studied this? Or heard yeah, of- I've, I've read the encyclical. Um, and certainly, you know, the I think it's really important. I know Diane touched on it, but it's really important to talk about what was going on in the world at that time. And, of course, you know, Diane mentioned a sexual revolution and feminism, all that. But it really was, um, especially post-World War II Europe, if you look at what was, because we always think about things from the United States perspective, but really in Europe, if you look at post-World War II, that's when they had their first massive exodus from the Catholic Church at the time, and, and really just churches, and I mean, it could be Protestant churches too, um, and how that affected the way people viewed, um, and, and they started to move away from the traditionalist the traditional views on sexuality and, and relationships between men and women. And Europe's usually 10 years ahead of the United States. So if you think of what happened in the 70s in the U.S., it was happening in the 60s in Europe. Yeah. Um, and so when we think about the church's response, it's, um, I think from a U.S. perspective, I think a lot of people would be surprised that this was such a big issue in the 60s, uh, late 60s in the United States. Um, but it actually already been, because it was just, it felt like it was more beginning at that time. Well, maybe. I mean, the Summer of Love was 1979. It's 1969. Yeah. That was Woodstock yeah. and all that jazz. And Yeah, but if you think about 10 years before that, it, that was Europe, you know. Like, was it really? In the yeah, not, like not, as like, not as like, you know, hippies and stuff, but that, but that, um, that's when it started really in Europe. So, yeah. So, yeah, and that, that's when it was certainly 
was starting to reach its peak in the United States at the time. I've I've often wondered, and I, I I'm just I don't have an answer for it. But what is why did the sexual revolution catch on so quickly and so everywhere? You know, we went from the '50s where families were intact, it seemed, you know, and seemed like everyone was brought up in a good Catholic school. Catholic schools were filled, vocations were filled, and then ten years later, the world fell apart. How did it happen so fast? Yeah, I think part of it's, I mean, part of it in, in, from again, from the European perspective has to do with the collapse of regimes that happened. I mean, it started in World War One, actually, when you had the first collapse of regimes, and then you, they it's were true. rebuilt, and then they were collapsed again in Europe. And then you had this modern wave of, you know, in the United States, when we think about it, and that's why we're always, we're ten, ten to, generally 10 years behind, is that even though we had our wave of revolution back in the late 1700s, it was still based in faith, right? I mean, it might be loose. Mm. It's like Scott Hahn says in his recent book, like, it's loose and it's not really great, but it, but it is. It was, it was based in faith. But after you had this wave after the 1940s, when we had basically all of Europe obliterated and rebuilt into the modern kind of like democratic or parliamentary process that really hadn't taken hold in Europe too strong before then, maybe in France, you had you had this idea that wasn't based in faith. Oh, um, it was based true. in complete yeah. secular. I mean, even, you know, you can you can you can brush the Declaration of Independence off in the United States, but it did set us up for pretty well for for 150 years or so. So that wasn't <laughs> yeah. the case, though, in Europe. Well, the Enlightenment. So I mean, you could trace it all the way back to then, you know, and that's because that was the beginning of the collapse of faith in Europe. Certainly in Europe. Yeah the enlightenment and it came a little bit to the united states but i think we had a deeper root we did you know? yeah because it was founded on religious freedom and, and christianity i was in college our professors would always say ideas have consequences mm -hmm. you know there's no philosophy that just stays in the classroom it always spills out into the into the streets and you're seeing the effects of some of that bad philosophy today <laughs> you know philosophy that goes back hundreds of years so when humani vitae came out to reaffirm the church's tradition and teaching what was the reaction of people? Well, from what I understand, you know, this was 1968, right? And so birth control, you know, the hormonal form was around for eight years at that point. And the public and the priests assumed that the Catholic Church would adopt this as acceptable for use. So it was already kind of, you know, um, just rolled out. And then this totally reversed the perception which I think had a really negative impact on priests, married couples, you know, public at large, and then a reverberation like back to the church in and of itself. Diane, would you agree with that? Yeah, so I mean, immediately after the publication in 1968, the person who was chosen to present the encyclical to the world, um, I think his name is Monsignor Fernando Lambrucuskin, Lambruschini. I'm butchering <laughs> his name, but go with it. I think that was um, my appetizer last night. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds like an Italian dinner or something. Um, so he voted with the majority in the commission um, and to change church teaching. And he kind of told the press that the encyclical was not an infallible pronouncement, which kind of encouraged the growing con uh, dissent, um, allowing people to think that, like, Humana Vitae was just the Pope's personal opinion. Um, and there was another American theologian. His name was Father Charles Curran. Oh, Charles, yeah, Father Charles. Yeah, I'm probably yeah. saying his name wrong again. Um, famous guy. Yeah. yeah. So he held a press conference, I think it was 24 hours after the release, and he announced that he had a letter of protest signed by like 86 other theologians, and then within a week it grew to like 200 other priests. Or, um, so um, 
but I think Paul VI, you know, saw the descent coming, and that's why he, in Humanae Vitae, he kind of includes a call to priests to fulfill their responsibilities to teach and preach the truth. Um, but for the next 10 years, I think the church struggled to make sort of a compelling case, and then in 1978, when John Paul II became Pope, um, you know, Theology of the Body, which Father Joseph t- uh, touched on, um, he presented that as part of his, like, uh, Wednesday audiences, and uh, I think that that, you know— helped people. But I I mean, like we talked about, there's still confusion today about sort of, uh, some people just don't know what the church's teaching is. And some people know and choose to reject because it's, you know, moral, (laughs) I mean, it's the issue of moral relativism of like, you know. And because it costs a great deal. Yeah, it does. It does. It's a real sacrifice to follow humana vitae, especially when everyone around you is not doing it. Yeah, I remember hearing that in, in Washington, D.C., a number of priests, I just actually looked it up on Google, a number of priests, I think it was uh, 19 priests, publicly dissented. They signed an art on a like an open letter in the Washington Post, and the cardinal at the time like basically said, you guys can no longer be public priests. And so they took the case all the way to the Vatican, and the Vatican ruled against the cardinal and said, no, you have to reinstate them. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, wow. they, they, they said it wasn't, it wasn't enough of an offense to, to be worthy of... Uh, you know, basically removing your faculties, removing your ability to be a priest. Well, that certainly set a precedent, right? I mean, and then, I don't know, it just complicates the whole history of it all and the whole adoption of sticking to what the church teaches, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe just an echo of that now. I kind of, I find it funny that, you know, when, because recently we had the church come out, the Vatican put published a thing and says, no, we can't bless same-sex unions, which is, kind of a continuation of <laughs> it's just that shouldn't the be surprise right but the world is shocked it's like oh the catholic church actually believes catholic things like yeah what a surprise <laughs> it's like that's why um it's always shocking and maybe we see a little bit of that with the german some of the german bishops right now too it's like oh you know, yes um yep. which is a whole other issue but but there is dissenters out there i guess even within the church which is it confuses it's confusing confuses yeah. the church's teaching yeah yeah and on that most recent topic, I saw an article that was like, this is the last straw. It was like, you know, the writer's perspective. And that ruling was, I guess, you know, there was no reason for this man to stay in the church after hearing this. And yet, like you said, this is the church teaching of 2000 years. Right. So how could this be the last straw right now in 2021? You know, I mean, we just have to look at, you know, our, our the liberal mainstream Protestants to see how well it works when you adapt your teaching to the zeitgeist, to the spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. Are they thir- you know, thriving and flourishing? No. I mean, like mainstream Lutherans and, and Presbyterians and Methodists are losing members, shuttering churches left and right because they're indistinguishable from the culture. Right. And also, well, they've also splintered themselves. Like the big split in the United States was the Presbyterian movement where you had this giant split in the Presbyterian church between the liberal side and the conservative side. Sure. Um, yeah. And people, you know, start moving churches and things. And Well, the Methodists are actually kind of at that point right now oh, in, really? in terms of schism because of the, the gay marriage issue. Mm-hmm. Because they, they actually have a synod, a, a Methodist synod every four years to vote on what they're going to believe for the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> Which, just judging by American elections, you say voting is not always the best <laughs> to find the truth, you know. But. but, and then can you just clarify for everyone, what does the Catholic Church teach about, you know, the dignity of a human person as a homosexual Sure, absolutely. I mean, we've always taught that every human being is worthy of God's love. Every human being is created in his image and likeness. But that marriage is a very specific and unique relationship that's meant to be for a man and a woman and open to life. And so for that reason, it's not possible to 
have something like a gay marriage because God has already defined what marriage is. And that, that's not um, discrimination against anyone. We're just recognizing the truths that God wrote into the very f- flesh and blood of what it means to be human. So yeah, so definitely, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of it's just another offshoot of that sexual revolution. Because when you, when you detach sexuality from reproduction, then all of a sudden, any kind of sexuality is, is kind of open for acceptance. Certainly, certainly we have seen that happen. <laughs> we certainly have. <laughs> we certainly have. You know, it's, and Pope Paul VI, I think, was a real prophet in, uh, in Humanae Vitae because he said that if contraception became widespread, there would be devaluing of women, general moral decline, and destruction of marriage, and that contraception would soon be you know, mandatory and lead to greater social ills. Have you guys seen those predictions come to pass? Who hasn't, right? I mean... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the objectification of women is just everywhere, right? I mean, somehow women, I guess, uh, embrace that themselves, right? Because you see how some women are, you know, in the media, at the Grammys, like how they're portraying themselves. (laughs) So they're fully living it up, you know, to just be an object, which is horrible. It's sad. but uh, It's everywhere, you know, in terms of TV, music... Um, which is that mixed message because women always say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not just a sex toy. And then there's the objectification that sometimes they're willing participants in. Oh yeah. Or just like scrolling Instagram, right? It's like how many, you know, women are just in bikinis and all these provocative angles. I mean, it's, that could just, you could go down a rabbit hole of that, like so easily it's everywhere. I mean, and what a bad influence it is for young girls, you know? Like that that's what their dignity is and that's what their worth is. Did you know that uh, when the bikini first came out, the guy who designed it could not find a model to walk down the runway wearing a bikini, so he had to hire strippers to do it. Hmm. It was in France in the 1920s because they were, it was so modest that everyone said, no way. Hmm. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, we, 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 kind of, we kind of obliterated the island of bikini to test on nuclear weapons, so... Just thought I'd mention that. Is there an island called Bikini? Yeah, Is that that's where, where it comes from. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, they had to bring everyone to Hawaii, and then we bombed it to test out our nuclear weapons. <laughs> Good. We're <laughs> serious. Get, that's we where should, it comes from. We should get rid of bikinis anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should bomb them all. <laughs> anyway, Diane, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, I, d- I definitely think that you can see sort of, I mean, just the, the lowering of moral standards as well. I mean, you just look at sort of like the rates of cohabitation and like the number of sexual partners. Uh, I mean, it skyrocketed after sort of um, contraception was introduced and um, yeah, all of these things that he talked about. Abortion as a use of Mm -hmm. uh, contraception. And have, I mean, so the pill is now a thing and, and a lot of people are on it and all sorts of contraception. So has it made family life in any way better, richer, happier? No, it's prevented, it's prevented family life. (laughs) <laughs> but what I mean, about the, yeah. the, you know, the married couples who would say, well, you know, we wanted three children and we had three children and that's what they could afford. They would probably think birth control is good, right? So? I mean, I don't what know. Would you, how would you respond to that? Oh, it's tough. I mean, I would probably say, first of all, hormonal birth control is very unhealthy. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a carcinogen you know, I mean, it's terrible for your body to be pumped with artificial hormones and the environment, you know, and you you don't need this um, to regulate births, right? There are the natural, I guess, um, pauses. Natural you know? family planning. Yeah. Well, not Which that, we'll but even like Paul the 
the six talks about it. You know, it's God's design that there are periods of infertility naturally, right, within a woman's cycle. So if you can learn to monitor that, you can avoid procreation. But then I think the counterargument is that of that to say as well, if you learn the cycle and so you know then if you're engaging in the act on this day and it's not going to lead to pregnancy, what's the difference then between doing that and being on birth control? I've always used the example of the difference between um, dieting and bulimia, right? Because dieting, they both accomplish the same purpose. You lose weight, right? But one you would say is very morally legitimate and one was not morally legitimate because if you're dieting, you say, I don't want the weight, so I'm not going to have the pleasure of eating. Mm-hmm. Versus bulimia says, I want the pleasure of eating, and I don't want any consequences. Mm. That's a good example. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, we had a um, shout out to Father John Connaughton, if he's listening. Um, but we had a guest <laughs> priest come to our, our study, and kind of, he gave a great talk sort of on, because I think a lot of, one of the biggest issues, and honestly, this encyclical does go into it, and the study did as well, is that, um, you know, what is the difference between contraception and natural family planning? And I mean, it, it really, it, you know, we talk about like for every moral choice, the church asks us three things. So to consider the object chosen, the what, the end or the intention, the why and the means um, or the circumstances of the action. And, uh, you know, contraception is a, is a sin against nature and it can never be morally illicit. So it's an act that can never produce children. Um, and the sexual act is, I mean, it's geared towards the generation of new life. So distortion of this is a sin against nature. Um, and so we don't judge actions based on intentions or consequences. You have to look at the act itself. Right. All three have to be good. Mm-hmm. Action to be good. Yeah. Um, and if one is, is wrong, then, you know, like that, that's it. But, um, you know, like contraception versus having sex during infertile time, contraception is an act that can never produce children. Whereas having sex during infertile time, I mean, it can produce children. It's the type of act that can produce children, whether or not you're old or in menopause or whatever. So right. I think it's really important for people to understand sort of the, um, like those criteria for moral choice and the morality of things in order to like so kind of wrap their heads around church teaching. And, you know, Paul VI does talk about what he calls a contraceptive mentality, mm-hmm. because I think people can do natural family planning with that mentality of, I'm just trying to avoid. Because this, the diff- it really it's about the, the child being seen as a gift. You know, is the child a gift or is the child a burden? Is this something that we accept lovingly from God, or is this something that we want to try to avoid because we think the pregnancy is, you know, a, a sickness? Now, there are good reasons to avoid a pregnancy, certainly the mother's health, um, you know, financial burden on the family when you've genu- genu- genuinely been generous to God. But, you know, to, to just do it because I only want two kids, I think natural family planning could be immoral coming from that, that contraceptive mentality. Yeah, and I think um, you also bring the point that when a couple is entering into the vocation of marriage, they know that they have to be open to life. That's part of entering into it, That right? That's part of the sacrament. Maybe they don't Should know be. that because a lot of people do think Should they be. can just marry, get married and not have children, but that's not what the church teaches. So to go along with that, you therefore then have to put your trust in God, right? There's definitely that, that this element. is up yeah. to him about when the new life is going to come and how often, how many, right? I mean, because really he's always the one creating that life. So you may not intend to have five or six kids, but maybe that's what living out your vocation actually means. That's true. You know, and oftentimes we 
we think, right, before anything or before any challenge, we're like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to do this? This is too much. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I don't have enough money. Like any kind of thing that you might go through in your life. And then what happens, right? Like God leads you through it. Yeah. You don't have all the answers, but you're not meant to. One of the families that inspires me the most, and, and they listen to this podcast, so shout out to them. <laughs> <laughs> but they have 11 kids, 10 of whom are still at home. And, and they live in a very small house and, and they may not have the latest technology and the, and the fine designer shoes and go on great vacations to Martha's Vineyard. But when I go over to their house, it is filled with love. Mm-hmm. It is so joyful. It's just, it inspires me so much because they're so generous. In fact, recently the, the mom and dad said, you know, we're thinking about uh, foster care. Oh, that's I'm like, amazing. Well, I'm thinking where are you going to put them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to build wow. an attic or something. I don't know. Oh. No, that's so beautiful. I mean, in living where we do in Fairfield County with all these huge homes everywhere, and most families have two kids, and you're like, wow, you could easily host, you know, five, six kids. All these kids needs ho- need home throughout our country, throughout the world, and they probably have all the wealth to support 20 kids, Yeah, really, you yeah. know, but I don't know. We're kind of self-centered, and we want what we want, and that's it, and my boy and my girl, and what's convenient to me and my lifestyle, like, like, and I don't ever yeah. want to judge, but... That's the perception that comes off. That's true. I mean, our standard of living might be lower if we have more kids, mm-hmm. but the richness of life will be higher. Exactly. Satisfaction will be higher. Plus, you have more kids to take care of you when you're old. <laughs> That's what people don't think about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wow. When they're in their 20s and 30s. Exactly. That's why you have long-term care insurance, right? I mean, I don't know. What I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whenever, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, whenever, you know, mom and dad are like, you know, do the dishes. Well, why don't you just get a dishwasher? Like, well, I, have, I have five dishwashers. I know, right? <laughs> the name Joe and Kathy and Steve. Nice. But, you know, and just back to that one quick thing. My dad's one of nine, five boys and four girls. Four of the five boys were in their own bedroom. I think the oldest got a tiny, tiny bedroom for himself. And then the youngest, my dad got it briefly. The four girls were in one bedroom. They had one bathroom in the house. Whoa. Right? Okay, that's hardcore. And that's and maybe a shower in the basement, but it was an unfinished basement. Burr. Freezing um, cold. And they grew up on a farm. You know, they had to work hard, right? Chores before school, go to school, farm the land, farm the neighbor's land, you know? Like, yeah. That's like our parents' generation and beyond. And we're all just so spoiled now and so soft, it's you true. know? It's true. Kids sitting in their beds playing on their iPads and their Nintendo Switches and Xbox and... You know, but they were happier than we are on, on the whole. Well, there's something about hard work that's fulfilling, right? Like gives you purpose. I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I think too, like the church doesn't teach that sex is bad and you, married sexual love is one of the ways that spouses image God, who's a life-giving community of love. And what we're kind of talking about here is like everyone's, I mean, it seems like the mentality nowadays is kind of everyone is like, take care of myself first and not giving fully of myself. But then contraception in and of itself, like the body is telling a lie when you're, you know, basically supposed to be saying I'm giving all of myself to you completely, totally, permanently. Um, but, you know, really when you're sort of cutting off that, um, that procreative purpose, uh, you know, like you, you're, you're telling a lie um, and you're withholding. Yeah. So that most sacred part, you're not giving fully to your spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the uh, couple minutes that we have left, questions for you first of all do you agree do you personally agree with this teaching because it's so controversial and i know something like 90 percent of catholic couples practice contraception and if you do agree with the teaching 
how does it apply to your life? Because none of you are married. And I'm not married. So it's easy for us to say, you know, oh, you got to you got to not use contraception. But I mean, the truth is like I'm not married. So I'm sure it's a little different. So do you agree with it? Yes. 100%. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Lauren? Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, really? Because obviously society just says, you know, birth control. I've never wanted it or used it for myself, but I know plenty of women who have. I didn't know that that wasn't acceptable. But then from learning that, I learned more about all the negative side effects of birth control and how it causes depression and all these horrible things. And people should really not be on it. Yeah. Um, but then I also have the privilege of being single. Again, so like if I got married at 25, you know, I don't know what that would have looked like. I can certainly understand people who say I can't have like 10 kids, you know, so I don't know. It, it is tough and I, we all have to, I guess, um, navigate it on our own and put it to God, trust God, seek advice, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, it's like I learned all this in fifth grade in Catholic school. Like we we had a pretty conservative uh, sex ed class, you could say. Whoa. Um, yeah. And so they, they said, this is what, this is what might look like when you go to public high school. Cause we didn't have a Catholic high school in the town. So most of us went to public high school and they were very upfront. So it was, I don't know, for me, it was, it's just always been part of my appreciation for that's great Catholic doctrine, I guess That's you could great. say. So, I mean, how do you live it out now as single people? Well, don't really have to, but again, <laughs> if I ever talk to anyone, you know, who mentions anything about birth control now, I kind of try to gently be like, you may want to reconsider just for your health, you know? Yeah. For me, I think it's, I, I as a priest, you know, I try to encourage families and, and, and make it as, as easy for families to have as many kids as possible. You know, like when a kid is screaming in church, I'm like, don't take them out. We love them here. You know, that's a great thing. And, you know, and trying to just make things, uh, make it as easy as possible for people to feel like children are not a, a burden, but a gift. That's yeah, a I point. think it's, again, it's, it's advising because, because as the, as the one like Catholic person or, you know, outwardly Catholic person at my company, uh, I get questions about this stuff. Um, it's like, why is that? Why is NFP, why is that allowed? And, and contraception's not like, what's the deal with that? That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I have to explain it um, as as concisely as I can. But uh, but some people are just so, um, they just don't, they, they're just so, uh, they've, they've accommodated the time so much that they, they can't even wrap their head around it. Yeah. Which is, which is a shame. It's hard. Yeah. Well, we've ran out of time, but thank you so much for joining us on this uh, episode. We will have some more episodes coming up on Humanae Vitae and the Theology of the Body, because that's a, a topic that as young adults we are wrestling with, and we're going to have to kind of deal with in our future if God's calling us to marriage or even to single life. But thank you so much for joining us. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. <laughs>